just want to invite you to listen to these words by way of introduction. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. It's a super important command, and it is a command. It's a heartfelt, personal, caring command. There are many false prophets. And so be discerning. Be careful. Be cautious. That's what John the Apostle says. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John the Apostle, by definition, if you are an apostle, you were with Jesus. You were with Him. You saw Him raised from the dead. And by definition, if you are an apostle of someone, you have their authority. And John the Apostle, with the authority of Jesus, is saying to Christians... You're on alert. Be warned. Be careful. There aren't a few of these men and women. There are many of them. The world is filled with them. So be careful. Last Sunday, we started our study of 1 John. So I'll bring you up to speed if you're just joining us this morning. But you would want to find the book of 1 John, not the Gospel according to John. Same author. But 1 John, there are three shorter letters toward the end of the Bible. If you find Revelation, you can back up. If you're on a smartphone, I have no idea. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and these letters deal with false teachers, people who are false prophets, people who say they're Christians and they represent God, but they're not telling the truth. And John the Apostle has every right to call them out because he himself saw Jesus, watched Jesus through his life, then his death, saw him raised from the dead. And not only that, John heard Jesus interpret for him the meaning of what Jesus did. So John knows. John knows and John is pastorally helping us so that we're not led astray. The opening verses, verses 1 to 4, make it very, very clear. And John is is stressing that he was there. He saw eyewitness credibility. And you can read into it, and he wants you to read into it. Therefore, I know what I'm talking about, unlike those other people who are misleading you, claiming special revelation, claiming special experiences, special feelings, or whatever it might be, that contradict Jesus and what He told His apostles to teach. So opening verses are critical and important, tied to history and the real historic Jesus and really being there with Him in time and in space. Uh, The opening verses have a lot to do with authority, because, let's face it, typically that's what it ends up being. It's Time and time again, it's just an authority issue. I say this, you say that, who's right, can't know. No, John plants his flag, I can know and I do know. 
because I was there unlike those other people who are bending your ear. So I want to re-preach that, but I won't. I really want to. This morning what we're going to do is look at the remaining verses of chapter 1. That's verses 5 to 10. And in 5 to 10, John exposes false teachers for their errant false teaching about sin. False teachers teach false things about a lot of different things. It's not always about sin, but a lot of times it's about sin. And so what he's going to do is he's going to have this awesome, great, elevated statement about God. And then he's going to expose their sin. Some false teachers say there's no such thing as sin. Some false teachers say, I don't sin. Some false teachers say that Christians don't sin once they become Christians. Some false teachers redefine sin. Some false teachers think you can live however you want and ignore sin and you're living. And we're going to see some of that this morning. And we don't want to be duped. And we don't want to be dupers, if that's a word. But I like it. You just don't want to be one. Let's not be duped and let's not be dupers. Even if we don't mean to be, sometimes that can happen if we're not clear in our thinking. If we don't know the truth about sin, we're not going to look for the right solution. The Jesus we believe in is going to be a fake Jesus. It's going to be an idol Jesus. If we don't know the truth about sin, the God we say we know and worship is going to be a fake God. If we don't know about sin, we won't find salvation. If we don't know about sin, we're going to be confused. If we don't know about sin, we might be enslaved to false teachers who are telling us their own spin on sin, which I've seen happen time and time again. So we want to be clear on what sin is, what isn't, what it isn't. And we're going to do that this morning, I hope. 5 to 10 is our text. An expose of false teaching regarding sin. So, first verse gives us a great declaration about who God is, great place to start, and then three points of exposure, if you will. He's unveiling, he's exposing, he's calling them out. Three false claims about sin that false teachers make. Okay, let's look at the opening, at the opening section. It says, this, in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him. Again, drawing on verses 1 to 4. Let me tell you what Jesus thinks. This is the message that we've heard from Jesus, and he summarizes it. He, he's, he's, he, he's pulling the, pulling out the, the, the big authority. This is the message we have heard from him, none other than Jesus whom we, we ourselves saw and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's a great statement. It's an awesome statement. It's a great starting point. I wish it's where we always started, with who God is. Let's start there. God is light. No darkness. Let me make it real clear. At all, no darkness. Light, symbolic of purity, right? Of of what's true, what's good, what's honorable. He's using this metaphor of light and darkness, which is pretty common in the Bible, pretty common with Jesus, pretty common with John and his writings. God is light, God is pure, God is good, God is holy, God is righteous, God God is light. and, and, And therefore, 
He's not kind of dark. There's no darkness at all, symbolic of evil, of sin, of unrighteousness. It's just this grand, great statement. It's like the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 10. If you want to understand Jesus, you want to understand sin, you want to understand the remedy, you've got to understand God is righteous. And the reason people don't know what the gospel is and the reason they're misled and the, the reason they don't understand Jesus is because they don't start there, Paul argues. We've got to start with who God is if we want to have clarity of things. The ultimate starting point. Think about if we could only do that, if we could only understand that God is light, no darkness in Him, in him at all, we have traction. I have traction talking to unbelievers. I have traction talking to believers about sin and what God is okay with and what He's not okay with. I have traction in my own thinking about who God is. Light, no darkness at all. Again, Romans 10, righteous, perfectly righteous. He has a perfect law and He doesn't compromise it. To not grasp that, to quote the ultra-sensitive John Calvin, would be utterly stupid. For those of you men who are coming to Theology for Breakfast, we're keeping track of how many times Calvin calls people stupid. He's so sensitive. But it's one of those things. If we start with God light, no darkness, you know, it's, it's, it, it's like this is a football, saying it to football players. Duh, it's a duh moment. But John wants us as Christians to have a duh moment so that this other stuff just makes all the sense in the world. So now let's move on to these three false claims and let's watch John expose them. So we're going to participate today. We're going to be eyewitnesses, if you will. We're we're going to, to be a part of this exposure so that we can be helped, so that we don't waste our lives, so that we're not tricked, so that we're not misled, so that we can see Jesus for who He really is, so that we can live lives that honor God and we don't just spin our wheels. So, false claim number one. I'm going to put it in words that we might be more familiar with. False claim number one. God is happy with my lifestyle if I'm happy. False claim number one. God is happy with my lifestyle, my behavior, if I'm happy. That's how we think a lot of the time. John is going to expose that. That's not good thinking. Look with me if you would. Here's how John says it. He says it better than I do, but I want you to be able to understand. Verse verse 6. If we say... See, these three false claims start with if we say. This is the first one. If we say we have fellowship with Him, I'm with God. God's with me. I'm with God. Not only are we together, I also do ministry in the name of God. The false teacher, right? They're leaders. And so I'm carrying out the work of the Lord, right? I have fellowship with God. He has fellowship with me. We're friends, and not only that, we're partners together in ministry. I represent Him. That's the gist of it, okay? If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, ah, remember verse 5. That's the sin metaphor. 
we lie and do not practice the truth. I think sometimes, when I'm not thinking rightly, that as long as I'm happy with how I'm living and my behavior, God is happy with it. I walk in darkness. Oh, but I say I'm with God in the light, but I walk in darkness. I, I, I lie with my life and I don't practice the truth. And, and that, that doesn't make any sense for a Christian, especially in light of what we've learned about Jesus especially in light of what Jesus has said about Himself, like in our study of the Gospel according to John, Jesus is the truth. Right? I want to be with Him. Satan, according to John, Satan's the father of lies. I don't want to be with Him. So, my, my behavior actually matters, is what He's getting at. Not just if I'm happy with it and I define good and bad with my behavior and my feelings or somebody else what they're telling me just do whatever feels good whatever feels right as long as you find fulfillment I'm sure God is pleased with that he's saying no don't listen to people who tell you that it doesn't make any sense whether they're a mystic claiming new revelation because sometimes people do that false teachers are well God, God, God told me this it's okay and he told me that it's okay in your life too or a theological liberal who says, yeah, we know that that's what the Bible says, but actually, you know, we've kind of evolved and moved beyond that, so it's okay, you can kind of live however you want, and I'm sure God is happy. No. Or the Gnostic who claims to be spiritually elevated on a whole nother plane. I kind of live above all that reality stuff. Sometimes they, they've even in history and sometimes people today, they, well, that's just physical and I'm above the physical. I'm just spiritual and God doesn't really care about my behavior. Or the antinomian, the no law person who says, well, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. True. So therefore my life doesn't matter. False. Auden, the poet, the homosexual poet, said this, I like to sin. God likes to forgive. Really, the world is admirably arranged. But, but you, you see, see where there's some, some truth in what he's saying and, and it gets turned on its head and before you know it, you're believing some truth and believing a lie and now you're being misled by a false teaching. It's true. We sin. It's true God forgives in Christ. To the point where we, we do shorthand. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Absolutely. We heard eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. How? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Trust, not by what you do. In Jesus' ministry, over and over and over again. So it could be easy to then conclude, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. God, I like to sin. God likes to forgive. No, 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 hold on. We're going, down, we're going down a wrong road here. Because Jesus also taught that when you belong to Him by faith, He wants you to live a certain way. He wants you to honor Him. He calls it a lie. 
Now, here's the positive side. And by the way, this is one good thing about false teaching. False teaching, as bad as it is, gives us opportunity to, to remind ourselves what's true. So how about verse 7? But if we walk in the light, this is our behavior as Christians. Okay, This is not to earn salvation. Christ has earned it. Now we're professing Christians. John's writing to professing Christians who are trusting in Christ. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, this is our conduct, trying to do the right thing to honor God. As He is in the light, we, we have fellowship. We really do have fellowship with one another, not only with God and partnering and doing ministry and all those things, with other people too. How about even with the apostles? John says, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son cleanses us from all sin. Ah, that's how Christians should think. That's, that's the way, that's the right way to think about things. I want to be in the light. I want to be doing the right thing, honoring God. And we'll talk more about what that looks like. We'll talk more about what sin means. I know we haven't even defined it yet. That's Christian thinking. To be living in a way that honors God in the light, not trying to hide anything. And when that happens, we have fellowship, not only with God and our, our ministry is legitimate. We have it with one another. And it's legitimate tied to the legitimate authorities who would be none other than the apostles. This stuff isn't very complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Isn't it interesting, too, that we know for sure he's not talking about sinless perfection because even in verse 7 it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we know he's not talking about now that you're a Christian, you're not going to sin anymore. And we're going to get to that. Where you want to be is you trust in Christ and you seek to honor Christ by walking in the light. And by the way, walking in the light as a believer, and that's where cleansing is. found in Christ, the one you trusted in for salvation. I'm ready to move on. You ready to move on? Pretty straightforward. But it is contrary to some the way we think sometimes. Start with who God is. God is light. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. It's insane to think He's okay with you living however you want to live. It's insanity. He wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to live in the light honor Him and glorify Him. Not to earn our salvation. Remember, He's writing to not unbelievers, but He's writing to believers in chapter 5. Okay, let's move on to the next false claim. False claim number two, we are good by nature. We are good by nature. How about verse 8? If we say, here's the next false claim, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, apparently the false teachers were doing that and they were training Christians to to think the same way. I have no sin. Well, John doesn't call them stupid, but he might as well have. Right? What does it say? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And Jesus is the one who calls himself the truth. If you're authentically Christian, you want to be on the side of the truth. So to say, I have no sin, 
is contrary to Jesus. It's contrary to Christianity is what he's saying. It's a false claim to say, I have no sin. Now, I have to be honest with you here and say, I I don't know exactly... We're, We're reconstructing what the false teachers exactly were promoting. We don't have all the details. So... For example, like-minded commentators here, they, they, is this behavior or is this nature? And then they argue about it regarding the next claim as well. Okay? And these are people who know original languages and have great degrees and are faithful Bible teachers. And it's a hard call. But think about it. False teachers should be hard to figure out. Sin doesn't make sense. And false teachers don't always make sense. But all of that to say, I'm going to take the view at this point in time that it's this particular false claim is they're claiming to not have a sin nature. Okay? May or may not be the case. We know that that's wrong. Whether it's exactly what he's addressing here, I'm not for sure. And so I wouldn't base my salvation on point number two the way I've articulated it. But I'm in good company with the likes of John Stott and others. The denial that sin exists in our nature seems to be point of exposure number two. I don't, I don't sin. This could be because I, I, I never had a sin nature. That could be how they're thinking. Or it could be that the false teachers are saying, now that I'm a Christian, I don't have a sin nature anymore. It's been eradicated. I'm above it all. Whichever one it is, John is saying, that's ludicrous. That's crazy. That's not right. You're a liar. That's lying. It's not truthful. But let me ask you this question on a practical level. When we get to the place where we're saying, I have no sin, what what does that lead to? Why is that so problematic if I say, "I, I, I don't have any sin? I'm glad you asked the question. I have a whole list of things that are going to happen. We're going to answer surveys and 65% of us are going to agree with statements like this. Most people are good by nature. 52% agree. By the good deeds that I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven. Yeah, that, that's what happens when you think you don't have a sin nature. You, you have real, really no idea of who Jesus is and what He did and what He accomplished in providing full atonement and reconciliation and, and, and crediting His righteousness. We, now, now Jesus, for us, ends up being the product of our imaginations. And in chapter 5, He's going to say that's idolatry. We don't really know who God is. We don't really know what the gospel is. We don't really know what grace is. We don't really know how to worship God or why to worship God. We don't really know what Christianity is. We will be misled if we don't know about a sin nature. We will probably mislead people. Romans chapter 3, no one does good, no, not one. Psalm 14 is what it's quoting, same text. Ephesians chapter 2, by nature, children of wrath. So for me to say, you know, I don't have a sin nature. Is ludicrous. It's crazy. It's not true. It's not biblical. And sometimes 
It's, I never had a sin nature, or some false teachers would say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I don't have one anymore. And that actually is something John has to deal with in chapter 3. When we see Christ, we'll be made like Him. We're not glorified yet. And until He returns, we're not glorified, and we're still going to struggle. That, 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 that sin nature has not been eradicated. We don't want to be ignorant. Now, I I didn't even say what is sin. Probably should stop and do that. What is sin? Well, in chapter 3, verse 4, he's going to tell us sin is lawlessness. A lot of times false teachers are just they just redefine sin. And then we don't even we don't even know what sin is. I've known people that have gone to quote-unquote Bible-teaching churches their whole life and they don't know what sin is. And they can't explain what sin is. I love it that the Bible says sin is lawlessness. John has to make it clear. And we know, according to Jesus, God's law requires that we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, according to Luke chapter 10, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And every other detail, every other uh, act of obedience somehow falls under those categories. Just love God perfectly, because He's God. That makes sense. And you love your neighbor as yourself, as fellow image bearers of God. Sin is when we don't love God that way. Something we're all guilty of. Sin is when we don't love our neighbors as ourselves. Something we're all guilty of. So if we know that that's what sin is, now we know we actually are guilty. And we know that not only do we have a sin nature, it shows itself up in our lives. Oh, okay. It's important. We can know how bad sin is. My behavior doesn't show a love I'm pointing to the cross. A love for God, so I won't really understand the work of Christ. I won't understand that I need atonement. I, I, need, I need Jesus, the God-man, to come and bring reconciliation through the amazing, powerful, horrific, as well, work of His sacrifice. See, if we don't understand that we do have a sin nature, we won't actually see how off the mark we are, and we won't understand of how much we need Christ and what He actually did for us. Sin is not really that big of a deal. I have in my pocket something I've had in my office for a long time. I thought maybe I didn't have it anymore, but I'll I'll use a prop today. I'm sure you all can read this. It says, Wash away your sins, towelette. Heavenly scented, Handy, reliable, antibacterial formula kills sins on contact. It says on the back, write your words with a wipe. Directions for use. Remove moist towelette. Two, devoutly, devoutly wipe away wrongdoing. Three, spot check for stubborn guilt. Four, wipe again as needed. Five, discard sins in waste receptacle. 
Six, go forth purified and moisturized. It worked. I got you to laugh. We're going to seek maybe not that trivial a solution. But we are going to seek after trivial solutions if we don't understand that we, by nature, core of our being, defining who we are, have a sin problem which causes us to look outside of ourselves to Christ and to only to Christ ultimately to deal with our sin problem. So when someone says, I'm not a sinner, they'll never understand the work of Jesus. They'll go for moist towelettes because everything else, quite honestly, is a moist towelette. I love it that in verse 9 it says, if we confess our sins, our lawlessness, our not loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, not loving neighbor as self, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's awesome, right? This terrible false teaching gives us opportunity to hear the beautiful, awesome good news about what Jesus does. Cleansing purifying even from all unrighteousness. It's awesome. Confess means agree with God. We agree with God. Yes, you know, as I like to jokingly say, hello, my name is Pat, and I have a problem, and you say, hello, Pat. Guilt. Let me just cop to it and say, I'm guilty. God, I'm guilty. You know what? That's right. He knew but He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, all unrighteousness. Because, as we've learned time and time again, Jesus is the righteous. Romans chapter 3, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus makes sense. I do love it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We won't get to it today. At the very end there, Jesus Christ, the righteous. How could He cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Because He's the substitute, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's awesome. This is one reason why we could love false teaching, right? In a weird way. Because time and time again, it provides opportunity to see true and to see Jesus for who He really is. In, in passing, I reference Romans chapter 3. It's Romans 3.26. If you want to jot that down, you can. This, this is so much better than living in denial. You know, you might be here today, you might be thinking, this is, a pretty, this is a downer. The guy's trying to get me to say I'm a sinner. Yeah. Well, that doesn't really help my self-esteem. Yeah. <laughs> Cops to it. I'm not good by nature. I agree with you, God. So good to have your son Jesus, the righteous, to take away my unrighteousness. It's awesome. 
Okay, before we move on to number three, just a, just a quick aside because this is something some of us have talked about before and I'll just bring it up and connect some dots for you. Um, not that many years ago, he's kind of gone by the wayside like evangelical trends do, but not that many years ago, um, it was popular from a guy named Neil Anderson. Uh, he wrote a book called The Bondage Breaker. It was kind of a, the devil made me do it with a psychological twist. Um, and he was big on saying Christians should not see themselves as sinners. Uh, and he even spoke at a large church here in town, and some of you have come from that church, and so I know you've heard that before. Okay? That Christians shouldn't see themselves as sinners. And I would say that's heresy. Okay? I think it's one of the issues John is addressing. I know it's not good for your self-esteem, and he was trying to help you with self-esteem. But, number one, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy, I am chief of sinners, and he's talking about himself as a Christian. He sees himself as chief of sinners. The other flaw ends up being, Neil Anderson didn't really understand, or he wasn't mindful of the reality of justification by faith alone. Okay? In Romans chapter 4, it says, God justifies the ungodly. Other religions say God justifies, declares righteous people who actually are righteous. But in Romans chapter 4, God justifies the ungodly. So when God declares you righteous, you're not. Okay? This is why the Protestant reformers found it as most basic to understanding the gospel as for Christians to see themselves as simultaneously sinners and righteous and saints. Okay? Let me drop some Latin on you because I don't know Latin. Okay? But I do like R.C. Sproul, so I've learned some Latin. <laughs> they would say, simul justus, simultaneously, just, justus, simul justus, et peccator sinful, simultaneously righteous because of Christ and at the same time sinful. Okay? This is why we put it in our vernacular. At the same time sinful and righteous. At the same time a saint and a sinner. Okay? Neil Anderson didn't understand this and didn't understand that that was really the backbone and driving force of the entire Protestant Reformation. Okay? Where was I going with this? So, Pat Abendroth is righteous. Not inherently righteous, but because of Christ, he's righteous. Pat Abendroth is a sinner because of Pat Abendroth. Okay? If I say I'm not a sinner, I'm deceiving myself and the truth is not in me. Okay, so we'll have a special service for those of you who need to repent of the heresy afterward. No, it just comes from not knowing things and being clear on justification, okay? And the beauty of it is, if you think you're not a sinner anymore, somehow you, you, you view Christ's work as all about being in you, and now you, don't, you have to redefine your bad behavior, and where does that come from? no. We look outside of ourselves for hope. We look to Christ for our righteousness, our legal standing before God. 
Having said all that, we're going to move on, I promise. 1 John is dealing with this issue. You actually should start behaving righteously. Okay? Because of Him, and because of His work in your life, by the power of the Spirit, yeah, it's true. You want to be living more saintly. Okay? You want to see fruit in your life. You want to see obedience in your life. You want to see righteousness in your life. But it's because of the righteousness that was outside of your life credited to you. Wow, that's a lot of theology for church. Imagine that. I always think that's so funny when people say, well, we don't talk about theology in church. It's the study of God and His world. Last time I checked, that's kind of what church is supposed to be for. But anyway, if you need a life coach, I'm sure you can find one. Just not here. Okay? I better move on or I'm going to get myself in more trouble, don't you think? I've got all kinds of things I'm thinking about. Number three, false claim number three. And that's that we do not sin. That we do not sin. He's saying something similar, and so here's how I'm interpreting it. Uh, number two was sin nature. Number three is sinful behavior. And they may be reversed, I'm not sure. Number three, we don't sin. How about verse 10? If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. How about that? These people are claiming to be Christians. And John is saying, you know, everybody who says they don't sin, they're liars. Woo! You know, bad marketing. I don't know where the apostles went to marketing school, but it was terrible. It was terrible. But see, it's such a big deal because you've got to understand Jesus or we can't understand Christianity. Think about it, Christ and Christianity. And so when people are peddling things in the name of Christ that aren't true, he's got to pull out the big stick and say, liar. Not true. Don't believe them. Run. Okay? We've not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's wrong-headed to do that in the name of, the God, of God. It's not authentically Christian. This has shown itself up in things called like perfectionism in the 1800s, in certain forms of Keswick theology, certain forms of higher life theology, some Wesleyan circles, charismatic circles at times. Because I've had this experience and now I'm above it. God has told me that I don't do it anymore. I lived an ordinary Christian life for a while and I struggled. And then I had a crisis experience and now I don't do it anymore. It's shown itself in all different kinds of forms. I don't sin. And I want to say, oh yes you do. Only one time have I actually met a person who said, I don't sin anymore. I haven't sinned in a long time. It was right out there in the entryway. It was amazing. I I wish I had like a GoPro hidden or something because then I'd show it to you. I said, really? You don't sin? No, haven't for a long time. I said, is that your wife over there? And he said, I already know what you're going to say. And I said, what? You're going to want to talk to her. I said, that's right, I am. (laughs) I thought I was the first person to drop that on him, but you know what? He'd been around other churches letting them know that he was the guy that doesn't, doesn't sin. And other pastors were smart enough to say, I'd like to talk to your wife. It's so good to have John the Apostle, first four four verses, I was with Jesus, I saw Jesus, I heard Jesus, I witnessed Jesus raised from the dead, I heard His interpretation of the facts, and I know that I know that I know that I know that you sin. (laughs) 
And false teachers are false because they weren't there with him. And they don't know, they don't have the authority of the creator of the universe on their side. So you can tell me you don't sin. I don't believe you. You know what I'll say? That's interesting. And then I'll want to talk more. But if you don't sin, you probably don't understand that sin is lawlessness. And God's law, which is good, says, love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Even perfect motives, thought, word, and deed. And when we don't know that, it's no wonder we think we don't sin anymore. I liked it when we had Vineet, our Indian missionary, the other day uh, at our men's men's retreat, and and we were doing a little Q&A, and I said, hey, Vineet, have you sinned today? What, What kind of way is that to treat a guest speaker? I mean, it was still morning. And, you know, he was like, uh, yes. See, he knows. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Well, Vanit doesn't want to sin. Vanit wants to walk in the light and honor Christ with his life. But he still knows that he falls short. And he's the guest speaker. I said it one Sunday morning here. I said, I'd like everyone in the room to raise their hand uh, if they've sinned enough today to go to hell. And I'll never forget seeing one person's face and seeing them do this. You know what that told me? It just told me that I have more work to do as a pastor. We don't want to sin. That's false teaching. We don't want to just live however we want to live. That's listening to false teachers. But to say that we don't sin anymore means we've lost sight of the grandeur and the excellency and the greatness of who God is and what He truly deserves. And that we haven't arrived there yet and we won't until we see Christ and are glorified and made like Him. Let's end on this. Let's end with thinking clearly that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He and He alone is the righteous. So we trust in Him. And God then declares us righteous even though we're not. Romans chapter 4. But now that we're accepted by God, God empowers us, calls us, urges us, commands us to live a life that is in the light. We won't do it perfectly. We're going to get that in chapter 3. We're getting it in chapter 1. But it is to be our direction, our desire. It's pretty straightforward. It's not that complicated. It's interesting, this morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And... I'll be honest with you. I hope I have been the whole time this morning. Um, Be candid with you. And I I don't always know where to put the emphasis when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Because in some churches, it's going to be, you know, we're going to have the Lord's Supper today, so you better get right with God. Get busy. I'll give you five minutes. Right? You can have that tone. I've had that tone before. But never mind the fact that we're called to eat bread and drink wine in remembrance of Him. (laughs) 
It was His grace and His kindness to give Himself for us so that we could be reconciled to God. First and foremost, the Lord's Supper is not a, okay, now get busy so God will accept you. It's a reminder that you've been accepted because of what Christ has done. So relax. Rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. Right? I tend to emphasize that most because we tend to forget that. But I will say this morning that in light of what we've been learning about and hearing, we do have the warning in 1 Corinthians that some people are flippant and don't give a rip about their behavior and they think God doesn't give a rip about their behavior either. And that's not right. That's why there's a warning given that says we're not to drink or eat in an unworthy manner in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so I don't plan to re-preach this every single time we do this. But sometimes we'll emphasize one way, sometimes we'll emphasize another way. But don't get confused. It's not a 50-50, we do our part, God does His part. No, it's all of Christ. But if you belong to Christ, you've now been given the Spirit and you no longer are trying to earn your way. Christ has earned it for you and now you're called to walk in the light. We want to be Christians behaving not badly, but behaving in a way that would honor God. And so I would encourage you today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we eat and we drink, remembering what Jesus has accomplished. Remember, He's accomplished not only our justification, but He also has accomplished new life for us. And we should be living like we're no longer dead, but now alive. Let's pray and then we'll be served. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for, in a sort of weird way, we're thankful for for false teaching because we can learn from it and we know certainly that it provides opportunities for us to learn about Jesus and what he said and what he did. And thank you for the book of 1 John. Thank you for uh, the fact that even though we're weak and can't always understand things, you um, you make things clear enough for us to grasp the the big picture of things. Lord, thank you for Jesus, that he came here, that he lived a perfect life of obedience, uh, that he obeyed you even to the point of death, death on a cross. Uh, Thank you that he is our great substitute, that he brought through his death and through his resurrection new life for us. We're grateful. We're grateful to be able to rest in him and not in ourselves. And we're grateful that because of what Christ has done, we have the Spirit in us and we have new affections and new desires and we truly do as Christians want to live in a way that would honor you. So help us to do that and help us to do that for our good and the good of those around us, but also also, and ultimately for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.